before getting into the course material, and just a disclaimer, maintenance is coming in, so if you hear a loud knock on the door, um, and then I pause the recording, just a heads up that that's maintenance, and even if I sound a little flustered and panicked, I'm not. It's just uh, our, our heat's not turning on, so we need to get that taken care of. Anyways, contracts today, we talked about restitution, and so restitution is just pretty much giving people making people liable for benefits that they have received and liable for benefits they've received and not paid for or rather provided adequate consideration for. So today we're going to be talking about the restatement third of restitution, sections 1, 2, and 116. I'll quote those, read those, whatever, somewhere along those lines, and then we'll talk about three cases where this restatement is used and then apply the restatement to these cases. Afterwards, it is important to note that restitution is a remedial thing only, so it could have been avoided had there been good lawyering to begin with in the first place. In other words, don't rely on this. Do a good job beforehand, and you won't need to rely on this. But it's good to know in case of something ends up happening that you need to do restitution for. Okay, so let's actually start with section 116, the restatement. And this says, A person who has supplied things or services to another, although acting without the other's knowledge or consent, is entitled to restitution, therefore, from the other if, A, he acted unofficially and with intent to charge, therefore, and B, the things or services were necessary to prevent the other from suffering serious bodily harm or pain, and C, the person supplying them had no reason to know that they would, that the other would not consent to receiving them if mentally competent, and D, it was impossible for the other to give consent, or because of extreme youth or mental impairment, the other's consent would have been immaterial. Okay. Let's talk about how this restatement was applied in a case. This restatement section was applied in a case, and this is Credit Bureau Enterprises Inc. versus Pilo, or Pelo, I'll say Pilo. And what happened here is that Pilo was going through a mental breakdown. Uh, he was bipolar, didn't know that at the time, but he was bipolar, and he uh, became suicidal, or rather threatening suicide. And so his wife called the police they got a court order and he was involuntarily hospitalized at the hospital he would not sign saying i give you permission to charge me he he had no desire no intent to do that uh, and he only did because he was under duress and they said you can't have your stuff if you don't sign and so he signed but when it came time to pay the bill, the hospital sent him a bill. He said, I'm not paying this. I signed because they made me sign. Uh, I did not sign of my own uh, will or whatever it may be. And so they are not entitled to this payment because I didn't even receive a benefit from them. And so that's really what Pilo's argument is. Uh, the bill went to the credit uh, collection agency uh, to collect payment, and that's where this lawsuit arose from. 
Okay, so, first of all, how could this have been avoided? What could the hospital have done to say, it, so that uh, it, his services or whatever would have been fine to collect payment from, regardless? What they could have done is that they should have had somebody be the power of attorney who could sign for him, so his wife could come in and assign for him at the hospital saying we will pay this bill and for the services that are provided. That's what should have done, should have been done. However, there are certain circumstances where this can be quite difficult to do, and so you may, in that instance, need to rely on the restatement. But what is this restatement really saying? It's saying the hospital provided services, they did not obtain consent, but consent is not necessary if the person is mentally impaired. And here he was mentally impaired, and so his consent was immaterial. His lack of consent, rather, was immaterial. And, and they had the intent to charge him. And he knew that they had the intent to charge him. I mean, they tried to, and they did have him sign a bill saying, you will take care of this. Along with that, let's let's talk about what officiously means because the hospital needs to act unofficiously. So officially means that the hospital in this case would have been interfering in the affairs of another and that wasn't justified by the circumstances in the time that the at the time the interference took place. And that comes from the Restatement on Restitution, Section 2. Here, the hospital had acted unofficiously because they were not interfering with his affairs considering the circumstances at that time. So that's... Okay, so the big takeaway from this is hospital-provided services, they can expect payment. His lack of consent does not matter because he was mentally impaired. That's really the big takeaway from this case. Let's talk about Commerce Partnership versus Equity Contracting Co. And before going on, it's important to say that there are a lot of terms here that really mean the same thing. Restitution occurs, or rather you rely on the restatement of restitution. I should have said this earlier. But it occurs when there are elements of a contract that are lacking. When there is no signature, no agreed upon things, but services are provided anyways, and the person refuses to pay because they say, well, there's no contract. Then restitution comes into play saying, even though there's no physical contract, oral, written, whatever, uh, you can use restitution because they actually provided services. That's really what restitution is, is quasi-contract. Something that isn't a contract but may appear to be a contract and can be enforced as a contract even though the contract elements are missing and that's what happened here in commerce versus equity 
This is another construction case. Commerce is the owner. They hired a general contractor and equity is a subcontractor of that general contractor. It's important to note equity and commerce do not do business one with another. Commerce worked with the general and the general worked with equity. All contracts that occurred here were between commerce and the general contractor or all con uh, all other contracts were between equity and the general contractor. What happened here is commerce paid the general contractor uh, large sums of money to work on this building and the general contractor hired equity to do some stucco work down in Florida. Equity did the work uh, for $17,000, so to speak, somewhere, somewhere around there. And uh, the company, uh, Commerce, paid the general contractor who failed to pay equity. So equity is bringing this lawsuit against the owner and the general contractor. And unfortunately for them, the general contractor filed bankruptcy which means they are no longer a part of this case. So it's really up to equity to prove that commerce received a benefit, meaning they received the stock of work. They knew that they had that benefit, which obviously they did, and that commerce did not pay either in full or even in part for that benefit and so really there's no contract between the two of them but the middleman was pulled out of the equation so what are you going to do equity here is arguing that this is a quasi contract and needs to go underneath the restatement third of restitution so just to sum up, a quasi-contract, the elements or requirements for one is that the party needs to have known of a benefit, they need to have received that benefit, and third, that they did not pay for the value of the benefit. It's pretty easy to tell that parts one and two here are met. Uh, the owner knew that the stucco work was being done. They actually received the stucco work. But third is in question of whether or not they paid the fair value of it. And this is a question of if they did pay the fair value of it, but equity did not receive that, who bears the risk? Does equity not get paid at all? Or does the owner have to pay for it twice? And the court actually says equity bears the risk. And the owner does not need to pay for it twice, considering that they did pay for it to begin with. It would be unjust for the owner to pay for it twice. All this is based off of the Restatement Third Restitution Section 1, which basically says a person who is unjustly enriched, and that just means that they received a benefit, unjustly, meaning they did not pay for that benefit, at the cost of a person who provided the service. So... Even though there's not a contract, even though there is a contract, sorry, if it looks like there is a contract here, you don't use the restatement 
of restitution and instead you're going to move to the restatement on contracts. Really big takeaway from this is the definition of a quasi-contract, which is a person who receives a benefit and does not pay for that benefit. That person can assume the risk unless if they have already paid for that benefit. That's the big takeaway from that. Watts v. Watts, this is a cohabitation case. The family had lived together for 12 years, and during that time, they had undergone some several business ventures. Those business ventures tended to be quite successful. They worked together, and then they became separated. And she's bringing this suit, uh, claiming that some of the property is hers. Once again, the way that this could have been resolved is they could have been married. That's the biggest way to do this because the court really here is looking to say whether or not they have a claim. Can they actually bring this lawsuit? And the reason why that's a question is because they were cohabitating. So first and foremost, it would have been easier for them to make this claim had they been married. Second, they can make this claim under certain circumstances. First, they can't make it under any family law question in court because the statutes of the uh, of I think this is Wisconsin the statutes there related not to cohabitation but to married individuals so they can't make a claim to that but they can potentially make a claim through a breach of contract or a quasi contract the reason why it could be a breach of contract is because she left her job previously under the feeling that uh, under the words of the guy saying I will take care of you so she left her job her education so that he would take care of her Uh, if you look at the restatement on contract section 90 that sounds a lot like what's that called reliance she relied on the promise to her detriment so she could make a claim for that but she could also make a claim for a quasi contract and the reason that she can make this claim is because she was unjust uh, the person was unjustly enriched and she did not have a benefit. She went through several services, she uh, including child bearing, child rearing, housekeeping and also being a huge part of these services. And as a result, the defendant in this case had a substantial income increase. And that's actually the key important part here is The only reason why this case actually ended up working is because of the substantial income increase. They had cohabitated for several years, but that would not have been enough had there not been this benefit. 
and the benefit was measured in the substantial income increase. So she can actually make this restitution claim as well. That's the biggest takeaway from here. It would have been easier if they're married, but since they were cohabitating, there needs to have been some proof or evidence that the defendant had some benefit, a substantial benefit, that she was heavily involved in but did not receive compensation for. And that's really restitution in a nutshell, a big overview, and we'll carry on with this next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice, and with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.